Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of the micro-series about courage, where I invite my listeners to share short writings and reflections about what courage looks like when dealing with cancer and grief. In the last episode, we heard from a few people who talked about their experiences of not being seen or heard by their friends, family, or medical teams. In today's episode, we're going to hear from a few people who talked about moving forward despite being scared and having limited control over their situations. We'll start with Raymond, who wrote about his experience of being rushed into brain surgery because of the pressure he was feeling in his head. And by the time he woke up from surgery, he was being rushed to do chemo. I don't know that more time necessarily helps when it comes to cancer, but not having the chance to fully process the diagnosis or the treatment must have been all the more overwhelming. So what does courage look like for Raymond? He said, Accepting that treatment is necessary and continuing on with it, despite it being really painful and tough, and doing your best to ensure that you're eating and drinking well to help deal with the treatment. What stuck with me from Raymond's response was this idea that treatment is something to be accepted. It sounds silly to say this out loud, but when my dad was dealing with cancer, it never felt like there was a choice to be made. Whatever the doctor told us, he would do. Looking back now, I realized that maybe I felt like there wasn't a choice to be made because I wasn't the one who had to get treatment. And that maybe my dad was also scared about treatment, but he never told us. It's a damned if you do and damned if you don't situation. In between being scared of dying or being scared of what treatment might do to him, my dad courageously chose the latter. Next, we're going to hear from Rudy, who described an experience that was all too familiar to me, and I'm sure for many of the listeners. I think for my wife and I, the scariest part of it is really just the uncertainties. I know all cancer is kind of mysterious about how it's going to progress and, and deal, but I feel like brain cancer especially is, I mean, the doctors kind of know, kind of don't know, plus all the other stuff that comes with. I think a general cancer diagnosis, you don't know if you are one of the lucky people who are going to live a while, are you going to live a long time with deficits? It's just always a constant mystery. And just as you start to get comfortable, things change. I know that's happened several times in just the last few years uh, with me and my wife. So I think for me, that's probably been the scariest thing, even more so than like life or death issues is just like you don't even know what to brace yourself for because it's all so mysterious by the way rudy has been producing a cancer rock opera where he explores the experiences of a fictional cancer patient in a series of music videos you can check it out via the link in the show notes rudy's reflection reminded me of charles's interview in episode 43 from last year where he compared his experience as a caregiver to being on the ride, which he described as to simply take the next step, to wait, to try a new thing, to do whatever it might be, moment by moment passing, while you're scared out of your mind and can't control so much of what you're dealing with. Charles has written a poem on the topic of courage, 
Let's take a listen. Whispers of Courage from the Kingdom of the Sick By me, Charles Austin Muir With thanks to Susan Sontag If we look at the media, courage in the face of cancer looks like someone kayaking or running a marathon or laughing in a vineyard or pumping their fists on a mountaintop. And everyone knows someone who is courage incarnate. Someone who does all of the above and tells cancer things like, I'm kicking your ass. You started this battle, but I'll finish it. You picked the wrong person to F with. At least in a t-shirt or a Facebook post. But what does courage look like in the face of cancer, really, inside your body? The way cancer is inside your body. When you're with a doctor who tells you the cancer will win. When you're in the nail salon with a stranger who inquires, does that mean it's terminal? When family keeps asking you, you're feeling better now, right? When your spouse hovers over you every time you fall asleep, making sure you're not dead. Death is not allowed in our culture, only winning, so that courage in the face of cancer looks like a boot searching for an ass to kick and witnesses to tell the story. A weapon, a symbol, a social relation, a network of rhetoric and images that suggest only certain kinds of people have the courage to be a survivor, a fighter, a conqueror. And it's hard for courage to reveal its true power in the wonder of human beings facing mortality when their core values, traditions, beliefs, loves, hates, traumas are invaded not by an evil outsider, but by the pressures of a society that would speak of war rather than of feelings, death, or disorder. But what does courage look like in the face of cancer, really, inside your body? The way cancer is inside your body. Maybe it looks like clusters of frightened nerve cells that keep talking to each other, awake to the truth that they will be silent someday, sooner than later, perhaps, though hopefully not. And it doesn't matter if these nerve cells help you to fist pump on a mountaintop or tie a shoelace. They're with you. Through every scan, every consult, every surgery, every drip of chemo, every blood draw, every sweaty night, every bone-cold morning, not fighting, but courageous, talking, talking, talking. The things you don't say in a t-shirt or a Facebook post, talking even though no one hears them, sometimes not even you. Talk about dealing with the mysteriousness and the wild rides that we go on with cancer. Natasha tells us how she's dealing with a rare form of sarcoma. Scary looks different for every cancer patient. I'm a cancer fighter myself since 2016, and let me tell you, it has been a wild ride. I have a rare form of cancer, sarcoma, and my cancer metastasized from my leg to my lungs. I did one surgery to remove one tumor from my lung, and that one tumor turned into 50. Yep, you heard that correctly. The scariest thing about a rare cancer and 50 tumors? No cure. No cure, so your only option is clinical trials 
and you just got to hope and pray for a cure. Every clinical trial is a chance at life, and that is the scariest feeling, placing all my trust in medicine that has no data. Courage is being positive, having faith, and living your life to the fullest potential. It is so easy to fall down that rabbit hole of depression when you're diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. I like to look at life like a glass half full. I embrace this cancer journey with hopes of inspiring others in my position. I don't dwell on a diagnosis I cannot change. I look for opportunities to inspire, to travel, and to try new things. Stable scans? Oh, I love them. Because stable means more time on this earth. And more time on this earth means more chances at life that I can build for myself. That's exactly how I used to feel. That stable scans equated to more time with my dad. And I remembered how much it would just lift our moods like a mini victory each time. You can read more about Natasha's story in her new book called Behind These Sarcoma Scars. I've included the link in the show notes. The experiences of the patient and the caregiver can be so different, but there are times when the experiences are very similar. I didn't ask for help very much while being a caregiver, mostly because I felt that I was the person who knew my dad's situation the best and I would be the best translator slash patient advocate. My dad barely asked for help, especially with big things. But he did have me and my mom around, and we offered so he didn't have to ask too much. But what happens when you have to deal with cancer alone? Amy shared what it was like. She wrote, I went through treatment while living overseas, far from my family. Because of the pandemic, I hadn't been home for two years. I'm single and live alone. When I was at my physical weakest, I was constantly afraid of falling or not being able to care for myself. The scary thing for me was asking for help because I didn't want to be a burden. My surgery, chemo, appointments, all helped by friends. And it was very humbling for an independent person. There were a lot of dark and lonely times. After treatment, I also travel across the world, 36 hours travel time, to finally see my family. I was so weak, I couldn't walk more than 15 feet, and that was terrifying. Courage is mostly just doing the next thing. I didn't want to die or give up. The easier choices would have killed me, so I did hard and painful things. Kathy talked about another way of responding to a situation you have little control over. This is what she wrote about what she did when facing cancer. Surrender. I initially had no desire. I'm a fighter and wanted to take charge of my life. However, taking charge required emotions that I believed could jeopardize my health. Anger and anxiety can be a very powerful emotion causing physical illness. Fighting would weaken my already weak immune system. So I surrendered all of it to God. He placed me on this earth, so I knew he had a plan. Everything about my life changed. Everything. Relationships, marital status, my focus, my job, my living situation, and what I do with my time. It was beyond scary. It was a life-altering shift. I'm no longer the person I was. The old me would not recognize the new me. 
talking about life-altering shifts, there's probably none more life-altering than getting a cancer diagnosis in your teens. Let's hear from Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica. I'm from Canada. I am currently a 10-year cancer survivor. I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma at the age of 16. The scariest thing I have ever faced throughout the entire time I had cancer would be facing the reality that not only was I a teenager, but a teenager with cancer. I was in a very crucial time in my life. Many other teenagers my age were having fun, going out with friends, liking boys, and simply planning the next step of figuring out their identities and planning for what the future had to offer. All the while, I was going from appointment to appointment, constantly surrounded by people who had my life history and everything in between, asking some of the most personal questions. And as a teenager, this can be very scary in the first place to have those discussions with not only your parents, but to add a whole other set of adults. For me, I was faced with reality at such a young age that death was a real possibility. Knowing all I know now, this, and being at a young age, I knew that my diagnosis in some way, shape, or form would change the course of my entire life. And as I got older, it still affects me in some ways. I know I'll never truly be the same, and that can be the scariest thing of all. Life truly is about counting your blessings and being thankful because you don't know what it'll bring you. To this day, 10 years later, I still go to the grocery store every year and buy myself a celebratory cake to remember how far I've come in being remission and just celebrating every day that I survived. And that concludes the second episode of the micro-series. Thanks again to everyone who submitted their writings and recordings. It takes courage to open up about something so personal, and I'm grateful you decided to share. We'll have one more episode of the micro-series to come. In the meantime, please let me know if you're enjoying this format, and I welcome your suggestions for topics to explore in future micro-series. You can email me at info at talkaboutcancerpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.